Well, if you want, go ahead and uh, grab your Bible or your tablet or whatever you use to look up uh, the Word of God and turn to chapter 5 in Luke. We're going to get there in just a second. But first, I want to set the scene for you. Mayberry Elementary School. Not Mayberry as in Andy Griffith. That was the name of the school that I went to. It was Mayberry Elementary. I was in first grade. It was recess. It was probably in the spring. I don't remember that part for sure. But during recess, I got in trouble And I literally ran home. Why did I run home? Because this was not the first time I got in trouble at recess. And I was told, the next time you get in trouble, young man, you will be going to the principal's office. Well, the principal's office is a little bit scary, right? The principal has this authority, And the principal is able to do things to you, not just say things. I mean, this was a while ago, right? So things could happen to you in the principal's office that you did not want to happen, that might be repeated at home when you got there. So I ran home. And uh, the good news is my mom took me back to school. Everything was cool. I found out that our principal has authority, but our principal was also very compassionate. And so was my first grade teacher. Authority, though, sets someone apart. It gives you a sense that there's something different about them. And and authority means the person has a right to give orders or to enforce those orders or to make decisions. Most of all, a person in authority, if they're using authority properly, is just a person who has influence for good. Last week, Jim did a great job helping us see that Jesus is like no one else. He is the master. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus is like no one else. He is the liberator. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus is like no one else. He is the authority. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the warmth that we find in your love and here in this fellowship. Help us right now to hear from you. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, so Luke chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read down through verse 26. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. 
right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Well, what does God want us to gain from these two miracles? What does he want us to see? Before we dig into them, let's look quickly at two initial questions. The first one is this. Why does Jesus keep telling people, don't tell anyone about me? In the story of the leper, there's a practical reason. Only a priest could verify that the leper was clean. So Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Go directly to the priest and offer sacrifices, as the law says. We should never minimize obeying what God says to do. Jesus never did. But Jesus also tells people to be quiet when the law has nothing to do with their situation. So why keep the good news about him a secret? Well, here are a few possibilities that are offered by commentators. One is this. He wasn't doing miracles to draw crowds. But when you do something incredible, as our text says, people want to see it. And viral videos prove that's still true, right? Like the, the viral videos from the dancing last night, the swing dancing at the Valentine's banquet, that stuff is going to be like, someone's going to build a house if they actually post that on YouTube because everyone's going to think it's awesome. All right. As long as I'm not in it. All right. (laughs) Another possibility is that physical miracles aren't good testimonies. Now, we think they are, right? We think, wow, if there's a physical miracle, that's going to be incredible. But Jesus later goes on to say, you know, if people, the people that ask for signs and wonders are the people who are shallow in their faith. And if you think about it, the very people who saw Jesus do these miracles later scream, crucify him. Another thing is that Jesus sometimes tells the demons themselves to be quiet. And and later we see that Paul does this as well. Now, why would that be? Again, we don't know for sure, but think about this. In a courtroom, if someone is shown to be a liar or a deceiver or a schemer, they're kind of dismissed as a witness, correct? Well, the devil is the father of lies, Jesus says. And so all of those who follow him are also liars and schemers. And so they're really not the greatest witnesses. Another possibility is that the timing just isn't right. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we saw that Jesus uh, did some really basic but important teaching about who he was And the people got really upset with him because he he wasn't going to perform miracles in their midst. He wasn't going to bless them the way that he had blessed other people. And so they took him to the edge of the town and they wanted to throw him off the cliff and kill him. And the the text says he, he walked through the crowd and slipped away. Well, 
We will see, obviously, in the future that there are crowds that want Jesus to die. And he submits to his Father's will and he goes to the cross. So what's the difference between the two situations? It's timing. It's all about God's timing. And for whatever reason, the timing wasn't right. Jesus was saying, don't go tell people about who I am. I need you to keep that quiet. Well, we honestly are not 100% sure why Jesus said this, but it's a question that we, we need to wrestle with a little bit. But here's where we need to land. We need to simply trust what Jesus says. There are definitely times in our lives when Jesus says, this is what I want. And we can't understand why. But we have to trust what he says. The second question is this. Why does Jesus withdraw to pray? Now the answer to this one is much simpler. But we really don't like the answer that well. Here's the answer. Jesus withdrew to pray to be with God by himself because he had to. He had to. Now, we don't like that because we say, well, Jesus is God. So that diminishes who he is. But remember, Jesus chose to come to earth to become a man. And he had to wrestle just like we do. So Jesus had to do this. And the reason that makes us really uncomfortable is we think, if Jesus had to do that, why don't I do that more? It it forces us to realize that if Jesus needed to go and be with God by himself and to pray, that we need to do it too. The problem is some of us are really fine with the idea that that we will just do what we think is best. We'll use our own plan and do it in our own timing and we work in the flesh. Jesus didn't do that. Before he would go out to serve people, he made sure he was renewed. If there's one thing God's been pressing into my life for the last couple of years, it's this idea. I'm not saying I'm doing a great job with it. I'm saying I'm aware of it. You know, when when God created the world, what did he do? On the seventh day, we know the answer, right? He rested. God built rest into the system, into the order of the universe, and he demands for us to be healthy that we would rest, be renewed. A full day of the week is what God says we need to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be able to serve throughout the rest of the week. I don't do that. (laughs) I don't say that with pride. I say that with shame. And we have to get past the idea that we need to be busy all the time. Because when we're quiet and alone with God, that's when he really works in our lives and he refreshes us and renews us and makes us able to serve. So with that background, let's look at how Jesus then, after being refreshed, he he did one miracle, then was refreshed, then he did another miracle. How, How did he do those things? What did he do? And let's look at the authority that he has. And I think the authority is really this. He has the authority to change lives. Now later in the book of Luke, twice Jesus is going to send his disciples out to go 
help and serve in his name. And in the book of Matthew, there's a lot more clarity on, on how that works. Right before Jesus goes back to the Father, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, this is key, therefore you go and make disciples. Baptize them, teach them. Jesus says we need to go in his authority and do the same things. It's our responsibility, it's our opportunity to serve as Jesus served. So in these two stories, Jesus shows that changing lives is really caring for the whole person. We see Jesus care for people emotionally and physically and spiritually. Now sometimes when Jesus changes lives, it's, it's simple. It's just being with people. It's, it's through his loving behavior. It's outside the realm of what we would consider the miraculous. Doing things like hugging and smiling, laughing, talking, walking, praying, sitting, or just eating with people. Other times he changes life through miracles. Now it can be hard for us to believe in miracles in our day, I know, because we think a miracle disrupts the order of the universe, and so that just can't happen. But remember, God created the universe So he has power over it, obviously. But also notice this. This is a a wonderful thing about these two miracles. The reality is he reestablishes the order that God created, that sin had broken. These two men become what they should have been. They become whole. Commentator Justo Gonzalez says, A miracle is not an interruption of an order but rather the entry of the true order, the order of the creator God, into the demonic disorder of the present world. It is a sign of God's victory over the powers of evil. It is an announcement that power belongs to the God of creation, of true order, freedom, and justice. The miracles of Jesus are not just a validation of his mission and his teaching. They are part of the good news. End quote. Jesus repairs emotional damage in this fallen, broken world. Jesus repairs physical damage in this fallen, broken world. Jesus repairs spiritual damage in this fallen, broken world. Jesus cares for the whole person. First, let's look at how Jesus cares for the emotional needs of the leper. Now, the word leprosy was used to talk about any kind of skin disease. And leprosy was one of the worst things that could happen to you, even today. There are people who suffer from skin diseases that can't be cured or other physical things that can't be cured. But in Luke's time, if you had a skin disease, you were completely removed from family and friends, from society. You were outcast. Immediately, there were no exceptions. The law said that a leper could not even come within six feet of a clean person. And tradition says that on a windy day, that distance could grow to 100 feet because they didn't want any of those germs to land on them. Can you imagine? Here's what the law says specifically. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Those words are from the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, verses 44, or 45 and 46. 
Now think back a few weeks to when Jesus was tempted. What book did he quote from to overcome each temptation? Do you remember the book of Leviticus, right? So Jesus obviously knows the law, and he obviously knows you are not allowed to touch a leper. But Jesus looks past the letter of the law to the spirit of the law and to the person. Now, many of the religious leaders struggled with that concept, and some do today. It's said that some of the religious leaders even carried rocks in their pockets so that if a leper got too close, they would throw the the rocks at them so they wouldn't get too close. Now, granted, I don't think we carry rocks in our pockets to keep people away, but our attitudes, our judgment, our looks, our behaviors, it's very clear that there are some people that we say, you know, you need to stay away from me because you're unclean. If you're a rule keeper or a bean counter, you think God has to stay in this predefined box that you have made, sometimes Jesus is going to offend you and he's going to seem really unfair to you. Don't misunderstand. Obedience is good. Jesus obeyed his Father's will to the point of death. But a relationship with God is not about keeping rules. It's about changed lives. And changed lives can require grace that goes beyond what seems comfortable or fair or even right to us at times. So Jesus touches the leper, which says to him, you're valuable. That's incredibly significant, and it's incredibly outside the rules Now, when was the last time this man was touched, embraced? All Jesus had to do was say, you're healed. He probably all he had to do was think, you're healed, and it would have happened, obviously. But Jesus also chose to touch him. If we wear the name of Jesus, then we have to care as well. We, we do that by living like Jesus in relationship with people around us. So we care and we serve and we teach like Jesus did and we do that in his name. So if Jesus cared for people emotionally, we need to as well. All right, same playground two years later. I'm in third grade. <laughs> this one, this seems like it's self you know, aggrandizing or whatever that word is, but it's not. I just want you to know that I wasn't always the kid that got in trouble on the playground, okay? Not always. My dad's here today. He's thinking, yes, you were. All right. <clears throat> so uh, there was, it was third grade, and uh, during recess, you know, you always have your groups, right? Everybody has their groups. So my group of guys were playing basketball, but we had a new kid at school, this is not like what I always do. I'm just telling you, this is like the one time in my life I did something nice for somebody. So, um, this kid is new to our school, and, and we're on one end of the basketball court, and he's on the other end, absolutely 100% by himself. So I had a choice to make. Do I leave the guy on the end of the court by himself, or do I leave my group and <clears throat> my comfort zone and go hang out with him. 
So I, I chose to go hang out with him. And so we played some basketball. And uh, later on, in that same recess, Freddie, not his name, but Freddie and I went to the other end of the court, and I took him to hang out with my friends. And so I did one nice thing in my life, like I said. I went to him, and then I brought him to someone else as well. That's really what we need to do as Christians. We need to, to touch the people that other people will not touch, to embrace their lives, even if they're messy. Embrace the people that people reject, and at times that can be really hard for lots of different reasons. But if you can't do that, you need to ask God to change you, to be more like Jesus. So we need to go to them. The second thing we need to do we can't fix all of their emotional issues, and, and no one's expecting us to do that. But we can help. And part of the help, in fact, the greatest help we can do is then bring them to Jesus. Because he can touch them in ways that we cannot. So it's obvious Jesus cares for people emotionally. He also cares for people physically. Remember, Jesus healed the leper. And we also see that Jesus heals the man who is paralyzed. And when you look at the story of the, of the paralyzed man, you can see yourself in a number of different roles, I think. Sometimes we're like the religious leaders or the crowd. And we stand listening to Jesus, but we ignore the people who are around us in need. And sometimes we even block the way to him because we're turned toward him focused on him with our backs on them. We need to listen to Jesus, yes, but we need to do that without being selfish. So let's keep listening to Jesus, but do that while being aware of those who are around us who also need to get to him, especially when their need is urgent. By the way, if you are preventing someone, if you're blocking someone from getting to Jesus and they really want to get there, don't be surprised if they bust through the roof and end up getting closer to Jesus than you are. I think other times we see ourselves in the friends of the paralyzed man. That's a good place to be. We bring people to Jesus no matter what barriers stand in the way. And you do that in tangible ways. Visible action is proof of our faith, just like, like it was for those men. They knew that Jesus could fix their friend's problems. They also knew he couldn't get to Jesus on his own. You have some friends who have some issues who can't get to Jesus on their own. They need you to help. Not, it's not that they would necessarily have physical barriers, but maybe religious people are standing in their way. Or maybe they honestly don't even know that Jesus can help them. Or because they just can't, can't get to him on their own, they need you to take their hand and, and help them get there. And if you truly care, you're going to do whatever you can to bring someone to Jesus. James chapter 2, verse 18 says, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith acts in a lot of ways, but it definitely includes physical ones. It feeds and clothes and visits and welcomes and houses 
and takes care of people. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 25, whatever you do for the people with physical needs, you do for me. People who are hungry and thirsty and sick and naked and strangers and prisoners. In other words, the people who often get ignored. These are the people that Jesus served and the people he says we must serve. So followers of Jesus must do two things for people physically. We need to help when others won't. We need to enter into messy lives, take care of people with needs, even if it's sometimes hard for us to do that. And if we can't, again, we need to ask God to help us grow to be more like Jesus. And the second thing is to bring those people to Jesus. You can't fix every physical issue for someone, but you can help. And part of that help is bringing them to Jesus, who can provide the resources in any number of ways that he chooses to meet their needs. So Jesus cares for people physically and emotionally. And, obviously, Jesus cares for people spiritually. When we look at the story of the paralyzed man, we see that Jesus addresses his spiritual problem as well. He does his most amazing miracle in this. He says, your sins are forgiven. Obviously, the paralyzed man has a very visible physical problem. And we can assume, just as the leper had emotional problems from that physical problem, we assume the the paralyzed man did as well. But his biggest problem is the one that we all have, sin. All of us are just like him. We need to be forgiven. Sometimes we get so focused on meeting the obvious physical and emotional needs that we miss the most important one of all, the problem everyone has for their sins to be forgiven. It's not as visible, but it's even more vital. And if you think back to the story of the leper, this is an amazing thing. Again, the law says that whoever touches a leper themselves will become unclean. Again, Jesus knows that, but he chooses to touch him anyway. He says, I'm willing to take on your pain and suffering. You're worth more to me than a perfect life with no struggles. So Jesus touches him and makes the man clean, and then himself becomes unclean. Spiritually, that's what he did for the paralyzed man. And what he does for every single person. He does the exact same thing. He came into this world. And he lived a perfect life. But he hung on a cross. And transferred our sin. To him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. Jesus touches us even though we have nasty infectious disease, sinful broken lives that infect his own life. He loves us that much. He takes our spiritual brokenness and gives us spiritual wholeness. Followers of Jesus must do two vital things for people spiritually. First, we need to forgive the people that others won't. Not just once, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And if you can't do that, if I can't do that, we need to ask God to help us grow to look more like Jesus. Because Jesus specializes in that kind of grace, and he expects 
his followers to be generous as they forgive. Second, we need to bring people to Jesus who can forgive them. You and I can forgive people, but we cannot forgive their sin. Only God can do that. So we need to be sure that everyone has the opportunity to have their sin forgiven as they are brought into a relationship with Jesus. So as followers of Jesus, we have to care for people holistically, emotionally, physically, spiritually. You might be thinking, how can I help someone emotionally when I'm struggling myself? How can I help someone physically when I'm struggling myself? How can I help someone spiritually when I'm struggling myself? When we moved back from Venezuela just over 10 years ago, I was depressed. I had never dealt with depression. It is tough. I did not want to get out of bed in the morning. And by God's grace, there were some wonderful people who came into my life, not the least of which was my wife and Jim Breckbuehler, who helped me realize I needed to not focus on me. I needed to focus on other people. And through that, I was able to come out of that very, very challenging time. You've heard the the phrase that's not in the Bible, but we like it. God helps those who help themselves. But I think a more biblical thing is that God helps those who help others. It's just a truth. When you help someone, when you bless someone, you are blessed as well. When you step out to serve in faith, your faith grows. So let's love. Let's love God. And let's love people. And let's impact the world. Now imagine with me that you see a house on fire. Right? There's a house burning. By the way, I'm not suggesting that you do that. We have some firefighters in our presence. So when I tell this story, it's to make a point. All right? This is between you and God if you would actually do this. But I'm telling you this story. Imagine you see a house that's on fire. And so you immediately call 911. There's no one else around. And the house is burning. And you hear a cry for help. And you're just not sure if the firefighters are going to get there in time. So you run in to the building. And you find a young girl who is trapped under a wall that's half fallen. And the flames are moving toward her. You try. You can't move the wall yourself. You can't get her out. But fortunately, you do have a bottle of water. And so, it's a camelback, double insulated. Water's still cool. So you give her a drink of water. Which helps, because she's thirsty. And then you give her a hug which helps because she's really distressed and she feels better. And then you run out of the house. Hey, at least you got a drink of water and a hug. It's so much better if you can give her a drink of water 
and embrace her until the firefighters get there and can save her life. Otherwise, in the long run, what's the point? Jesus provides a way of escape from eternal fire. So yes, we need to help people emotionally. Jesus did that. Yes, we need to help people physically. Jesus did that. But we also have to help people spiritually. Jesus did that. If you only help with physical and emotional needs, from from an eternal perspective, it really doesn't make that much difference. It's like giving someone a hug and a sip of water and then leaving them to die. In the same way that firefighters run into burning buildings, followers of Jesus should run into the lives of people who were hurting emotionally and physically and spiritually, even when other people run away. Most of all, we need to bring those people to Jesus who can truly change their lives now and for eternity. And when people see believers who truly care and meet the Savior who truly cares, they will echo the words from verse 26. We have never seen anything like that. So connect people with Jesus who has the authority and the ability to change lives, to touch, to help, and to forgive them like no one else. Let's stand.